0: Yacht Rock Radio on air and online at yachtrockradio.com.
1: Well we're talking uh, music history with Dean Daughtry, uh, founding member with Atlanta Rhythm section. So let's move up to um, was it 1971 when you founded the Atlanta Rhythm section?
0: Yeah, Rodney says it was 71, our singer says it was 1971, but I thought it was 1972, but it could have been close in between the end of the year, and the first of the next year, I don't know. 71, it was somewhere around in there. Rodney actually is smarter, can remember things. I used to call him about things that happened on the road 20 years before, because I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but he always remembered so we'll take his word for it.
1: 1971, and, and then the um, the radio hits. And I always want to be careful with uh, musicians talking about the radio hits because I know uh, that there's just so many more uh, bits of and pieces of creativity and, and musical uh, extraordinarity that is uh, existing in the library of Atlanta rhythm section. But um, between seventy one, seventy two, and then seventy. 8 when the radio hits hit imaginary lover so into you uh tell me about what Atlanta rhythm section was doing between you know 72 and 78
0: well we uh, started out doing a lot of recording sessions for other people people like Joe South and uh god I don't know uh a bunch of people BJ Thomas we did a couple of his albums and you know just people in general that were coming down to Atlanta just to record and they wanted to use us because we were the rhythm section that played on the records and uh you yeah, know that BJ Thomas album was really great i thought and uh i saw we, we went to work like a regular job at the studio and then went home i lived in Delphin, Alabama so i would drive home to Delphin, Alabama from Atlanta on the weekends and just relax and then drive back to atlanta on monday and do recording sessions
1: so were you were you performing as atlanta rhythm section as a band and on tour and making your own songs or are you you saying you were a uh, a studio band that that worked on other Mm -hmm. projects or both
0: we were making we were doing our own writing and you know making little recordings I say little recordings, recordings that we did for ourselves in between the recording sessions for other people. Okay. Yeah, but we we were actually put on a salary, <laughs> you know, like regular job. <clears throat> but we, like I say, we were writing and uh, slipping our own recordings in between other sessions.
1: Moving up toward the late seventies, when you uh, you know really hit gold with "So Into You" and "Imaginary Lover," um, what was the landscape like in in the life of the band that led to to those hits?
0: Uh, well, you you want to know like the the members of the band, or
1: well, I mean, just so that... you, you know, you had it in you uh, the whole time. W- w- why in the late seventies did, did those? monster, huge hits, top ten hits, uh, flow out of the band?
0: Lord, I don't know. It just happened. I know that uh, Robert Nix, Buddy Bowie, and myself wrote So Into You. And uh, Robert and I were just sitting at, he, I was sitting at the piano, and we started playing The Thrill Is Gone, you know, just jamming around just for fun. And uh, it kind of led to So Into You. I remember that, and uh, we wrote a song about a person that worked at Lowry's office, Bill Lowry being the publisher, and on the studio, too, uh, Imaginary Lover was about one of his employees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we should put this on the air or not. <laughs> no, actually, we were talking about our wives, you know, and our girlfriends.
1: It's just a great song. It's fantastic. It's just oh, such a you. great song. <laughs> and then those you know,
0: it's amazing. It and so when you did the number 7 in Billboard, both of them. It's weird.
1: Both number 7 hits in the in the US yeah. uh pop charts, Billboard charts and, and in that in that time period um When they hit, and uh, did the invites start coming in for you know Johnny Carson, uh, bigger tours? I mean, how did your life change when those hits uh, really, really became uh, radio staples in America?
0: Well, we did start touring. We had uh, a—I'm trying to remember the agency. It was the agency down at Capricorn that was booking us. Uh, Phil Walden, I can't remember the guy's name that was booking us. It was a big agency. I mean, they booked all, you know, the the Almond Brothers and all the people that was working there with Phil Walden, who was their manager. Uh, And then we started working a lot. I mean, at least 200 days a year. Oh, that's busy. We'd work. We'd go out for like 20 days, 25 days at the time and then come home for just a few and then go back out it was hard but we were young
1: yeah you can handle it when you it's amazing what your body can take when you're young
0: (laughs) yeah and it was fun we enjoyed it and the people we played with we played with uh, every probably every group in the world we've done shows with everybody you know uh uh for example van halen we did some shows we were on the same show with them and
1: van halen uh, tell me about that show You we played with were van on the halen same
0: shows together and uh i remember the friendliest one in van halen was the drummer i guess he's uh, Eddie's brother right he was yeah, that's really right nice and friendly. but we never you know we never talked you know we wouldn't talk to anybody i guess we were shy i don't know but uh but we worked with the Doobie Brothers. We've been on the same show. Anyhow, that, Let me get back to the point here about uh, Oakland, California. Okay, All this stuff's going through my mind. The memories are coming back now. Uh, in Oakland, it was uh, us, Foreigner, Hart, the Cars, and Fly Like an Eagle. What is his name?
1: Oh, Steve Miller.
0: I can't think of the name sometimes.
1: Steve but, Miller yeah. Band. That
0: was Steve Miller. Steve Miller actually went on last, but I don't know why the Eagles didn't. And uh, we went on before Foreigner, or before Harder, any of them, because we were right in the middle of a hit. Yeah, that was in '77.
1: Oh the, man,
0: going you was just climbing up the charts.
1: My, that's a that's a concert. If you if somehow anybody listening invents a time machine, look up that show in Oakland in 1977.
0: Yeah. Day on the Green was the name of it.
1: Our guest is Dean Daughtry from Atlanta Rhythm Section. I want to talk about yacht rock and that term, and have you ever heard of it? And if you have, when did you first hear of it, and what do you think of it?
0: Uh, Yes, I have heard of it, and yes, I listen to it when it's on the radio. I have uh, the... uh, satellite radio i guess it's serious i don't know if that's all we can get around here or not but yeah and i, I always listen to yacht rock it's my favorite one
1: oh that's fantastic okay it so... really is
0: because i'm kind of uh
1: an easier
0: listening sort of you know like i like uh you know some of the softer tunes but i like some of the hard ones too you know yacht rock is a little more gentle than some of the things you know i guess that's a word i could use
1: sure but, it's that uh, smooth soft rock from the late 70s yeah, early exactly, 80s
0: that's exactly what i said on the interview the other day it, wasn't it
1: it's smooth, beautiful soft rock
0: yeah, yeah. oh it's made <laughs> such a i like a... that because it just seems like the musicianship is better
1: on those things and, and it's made such a huge comeback recently have you seen um, an uptick in, I guess, uh, bookings, gigs, downloads of your albums or your songs? I mean, there's a generation yeah. uh, of people that, that uh, hadn't even heard of Atlanta Rhythm Section five years ago that are now into yacht rock. I'm talking like 25, 30, 35-year-old people. Uh, people, my age, I remember y- your songs and your hits from when I was younger. Of course I do. But, uh, there's a new generation that's just getting into this, um, terminology of yacht rock and Atlanta rhythm section. So, uh, was there like a time period between, I don't know, let's say 1995 and 2010 where nothing was really going on. And then all of a sudden yeah, now here was. recently that. in were. the last couple of years, you're getting bookings all the time.
0: Yeah, bookings, and uh, I, I wrote most of our hits, or co-wrote them, and uh, I know my performance royalties are sort of exploding. You might say they're going up a lot compared to what they were ten years ago.
1: How do you know? Just curious, for a novice, how does that work? Do you just walk to the mailbox and there's a a, a check from BMI ASCAP that's got a royalty check in there uh, yeah, for you, or
0: uh, now you can get them. If you, I haven't done it yet, I gotta do it where you can get it directly put in your bank account.
1: That <laughs> direct deposit. I like deposit. going to
0: the mailbox and being surprised. <laughs> <laughs> really, and used to we could uh, you know mechanical royalties. We could uh, call Sony and find out what we were going to make out of our next check. But they won't even. They don't even do that now. You can't even find out what your next check's gonna be, so yeah, I like it when it comes in the mailbox it's just a total surprise
1: so there's no it's not like every two weeks it's just when a certain amount of crews they they'll compile the royalties, put it on a check and mail it to you
0: they, every six months every they six months it, it, they it, they will mail them to you every six months, and our catalog was not only not only did uh Michael Jackson buy up Elvis's catalog, and a few other people. He bought ours because our stuff is on Sony ATV. That's who sends me the checks for the songs that I wrote.
1: The Michael Jackson estate owns the Atlanta. Rhythm Yeah, I don't know songs. if he
0: knew that he was actually buying. back. probably did. Maybe he did. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he got the Atlanta Rhythm Section catalog there too. Huh. <laughs> I like that. I'm proud
1: of that. I you know, really am. I, I was watching a, uh, a movie, and uh, of course, it's going to escape my mind right now. But uh, it was kind of a bar scene. There was uh, the star of the movie was in a bar, and the song they were playing in the overhead speakers, like the background song, was uh, "So Into You" by Atlanta Rhythm Section. When a television show or a movie uses one of your songs, do they contact you first? To uh, no, they
0: contact the publisher,
1: and then. And then that's part of that royalty check you get every six months.
0: Yeah, that was Sony. Uh, know what they did with that? With, that was The Fighter, by the way, the movie The Fighter. That was uh, Christian Bale. And, uh, yeah, Christian Bale played his brother, you know, the dumb guy that was on drugs and everything in the movie. And
1: that movie was called The Fighter?
0: The Fighter, and it came in okay. uh, in the top ten movies of the year. Do you so re- I was real proud of that. Do you and recall... We've been in other movies.
1: Uh, you, you read my mind. I was going to ask if you recalled any other movies that uh, your songs have been featured in. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, 21 Jump Street.
1: <laughs> and, and, Which scene is it? Play, I love that movie. Uh, what now? I, I love what, that movie. What? That might have been the movie I was thinking of, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, they played the whole... No, you talking about a barroom scene. That was... Uh, definitely the fighter you could barely hear the uh the recording our record but you could still hear it and you knew what it was but 21 jump street i think they were i saw it a little bit of it. it they were in a truck driving and they had the radio going and played so into you and they played almost the whole i think they played really the whole song and you could hear everything and it was just great
1: that is now, great
0: imaginary lover has been in some movies uh it's been a long time ago i'm an old man now i'm losing my my memory <laughs> <laughs> but i tell you i still love music
1: dean daughtry is our guest from atlanta rhythm section we've been talking about imaginary lover and and so into you and and the movies and television that uh, those songs have been featured in uh let's talk about a cover band or a, a karaoke bar? This is one of my favorite questions I ask every band about a situation or a scenario where you were uh, in a bar or a restaurant, a tavern, a karaoke bar, and the live music that was performing started playing one of your songs. Has that happened? Uh,
0: you know, I don't go out very much (laughs) it has happened it's been a few years ago i don't i really don't uh, i used to party a lot but i haven't partied in a long time you know
1: right no Uh, this is uh, not about partying i have
0: have seen that happen in another movie called lost in translation uh bill murray and and what's her name that real pretty woman uh was in the movie
1: uh scarlett johansson
0: Yes, Scarlett Johansson. She was much younger than Bill Murray, but they really liked each other.
1: So what's the uh, scene in the movie? They
0: went down to have a drink at the bar, and the band was playing and playing it live too. They weren't, you know, lip syncing or anything like that. So into you, and they played it right.
1: (laughs) That's you have to be the biggest (laughs) critic. You have to say, wait a minute, that wasn't right. They
0: played my part. Right. <laughs> are, are you ever
1: like, "Wow, that was too good. That was actually better than me."
0: Yeah, and I think you get paid more for live performances. I believe. <laughs> I don't. I'm not really sure, but I'm not really that concerned about getting paid. But I am too. I like it when I get paid.
1: <laughs> I'm. But uh, I'm going to rent that movie this weekend. Uh, Lost in that, Translation. Yeah, Lost in Translation. There's a There's a scene where the band plays "So Into You." Mm-hmm. All right, that's
0: roundabout. Awesome. The movie's about 85%, they've gone through about 85% of the movie. And Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson go down, they meet at a bar. And the band is playing So Into You. And I understand that Sophia Coppola, the reason she Chose, she produced that movie. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if she, she maybe directed it, too. And uh, she really loves the Atlanta rhythm section and uh, especially so into you. And that's the reason they used it in the movie.
1: Well, if you ever have a chance to meet Bill Murray or Scarlett Johansson, that's got to be the first thing you say to them. Have you met him?
0: I have not met them. No.
1: Yeah, I, you reach out and get get yourself a Twitter account and uh, tweet Scarlett Johansson and, and tell her who you are. <laughs> yeah, I
0: might just. I don't. Have, well, I've. Got, I can get Twitter on my phone. I guess I see the little bird there. I never have tried it. <laughs> I'm afraid of it almost.
1: Oh, I, don't really I love understand it. Twitter. Well, I don't you, understand maybe you Twitter. don't need to. You could use it to uh, promote. Uh, uh, your music and uh, the the, yeah. uh, the concerts you're playing and the the bookings uh, you might want to, you know what I actually yeah. we're gonna we're gonna meet and when we oh, meet I'll, I'll set your Twitter up for you.
0: Okay <laughs> that would be great. I do have Facebook but I don't have anything else really I mean you know other than just the regular things on the phone.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm not real big at uh, doing those sort of high-tech things. no well, they're high tech for me.
1: Your Facebook, is, is that a, an Atlanta Rhythm Section thing or, or a Dean Daughtry thing with your family? What's the last thing you posted?
0: Uh, the Atlanta Rhythm Section, we do have a Facebook account. And we also have an AtlantaRhythmSection.com. And then uh, that's all we have with the Atlanta Rhythm Section. Uh, I have a Facebook account of, of mine, you know.
1: But... What's, what's the last thing Dean Daughtry posted on, on his Facebook page?
0: Uh, I don't do much posting. If you don't know the truth, I don't. I don't really remember.
1: Okay, so you're just scrolling through, looking at stuff you've uh, liked, and your friends yeah. and family. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. See if anybody's likes the Atlanta rhythm or section or something like that. You know.
1: Dean, do you consider yourself a a cruiser? When was the last cruise cruise ship? What was the last cruise ship you've been on?
0: The last cruise ship we did was to. Uh... I think it was to the Bahamas, and uh, on, we stopped at Key West. So we got on the ship at Key West. Oh, this
1: was uh, the band you were performing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been on a cruise before, but it was back in 1979, and my wife at the time and I just went on a cruise.
1: So now and the the band yeah, the band only ones I've been on
0: We played.
1: <laughs> What's the uh, the last time Atlanta Rhythm Section played on a cruise ship? Uh, paint the picture for me. Were you poolside, or was this in a con- the concert hall of the ship, the auditorium, or uh, were you on the Lido deck?
0: I think we did two or three different places, best I can remember. And I remember that uh, it's been about three years ago, I guess, four years ago, the last one we did. And like I say, we went to the uh, to Key West and got on the boat. And I think the Bahamas is where we went. Basically, our first cruise, we went to Haiti.
1: So when they put Haiti. you in three spots around the ship, like, what's your favorite spot to play? Is it outdoors by the pool, around or
0: the pool? The pool they, uh, I don't, I can't remember what cruise it was, but we played around the pool and then a couple other little places on the uh, ship.
1: When you're done playing poolside, this is these cruise ship uh, concerts. Are very interactive and engaging with the listeners, so your fans get to come up and just talk to you right then and there, don't they?
0: Yeah, sure do. People are real nice, and they're definitely fans. They're big fans.
1: What What are some of the things they say, uh, you know, that they saw you when they were a freshman in high school in 1978 in uh, Seattle, Washington, or some of those stories? They have to just bring stuff up like it was yesterday, and maybe even events or things that you've long since forgotten some of those stories
0: yeah we get a few of those we do we get some people say well i saw you in uh st louis we you know we used to do shows for the kc kc yeah station. the radio station yeah yeah and uh they uh a lot of people we were just there a few weeks ago and People always talk about that. They talk about, yeah, we saw you back then. And we, we were huge back in those days.
1: Our guest is Dean Daughtry from Atlanta Rhythm Section. I mean, let's talk about when you were a kid. So what kind of uh, upbringing did you have?
0: Uh, well, I was raised by basically my my mother and I lived with my grandparents. My father was in the Army, and my mother followed a divorce. You know, when I was like two or three years old. But he would come by when he could, you know, once a year, for two years, because he would be overseas. He he had a career in the Army.
1: What did uh, your dad think, being a military man, of his uh, son getting into music? Oh, he loved
0: it. I remember when I went on tour with Roy Orbison, had to get a passport. I went to visit him. He was stationed at... uh, I think it's Count Shelby or Fort Shelby. What is that one in Augusta? I can't remember. But anyhow, he took me out there to get my picture taken for the passport and get my shots and all that stuff. He was excited about it.
1: Well, heck, yeah. I mean, if his son's going to go play with Roy Orbison, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, he was a big fan of
0: Roy's, too. Yeah, he liked Roy. Roy had one of them kind of voices that Paris would like. It was very pretty and just beautiful voice.
1: So what year was that when you were playing with Roy Orbison?
0: Uh, the first year, let's see, when was that? That was in just right out of high was just right out of high school. I would say about nineteen sixty five. So sixty six, somewhere along in there. That's when Rodney, our singer, and I started working together. He was in the candy men too.
1: That's amazing. So right out of high school, mm-hmm. you're uh you're a professional musician and get on tour with Roy Orbison. What other kind of big names from uh, that era, when you were just coming up the ranks, uh, did you have a chance to work with or sing with or play with?
0: Well, you know, we did we did uh, Australia with Roy and New Zealand. And there was, uh, you know, Jimmy Page was with the Yardbirds, then, and they were on the show. They were opening. Well, actually, the men Roy's group, opened the show because... Uh, we were real good. <laughs> uh, if you could check some records somewhere, you know, people just can't get over it. They still talk about how good the candy Men were. Because we did Beatles songs, a lot of them, and uh, they were just like the records. And and, and we, we would do things like with a Farfisa organ that would sound like strings and horns. You know, like blend a guitar in with it somehow, or the bass, anything, or a voice to make it sound like strings, or uh, horns. You can do those things even though we didn't have synthesizers back in those days.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that was uh the analog days of uh of music production in the studio. I mean the mm-hmm. hours you used to have to spend and uh, and now with with apps and software, I mean you can buzz through a a song. You think these kids today with ma- making music have it too easy?
0: Uh probably not. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's it's not really easy unless you are really interested and really want to do it. Uh, when I first started working with Roy and the candy Men, uh, their keyboard player had gotten drafted. As a matter of fact, his name was Bobby Peterson. He's dead now, but he, uh, left after he left the candy Men. after I took his gig in the candy Men, <laughs> he went to the army for a while, but then he got kicked out. He did crazy things. And, uh, he started working with the Rick derringer, okay McCoys, and he worked with uh uh winter, Edgar, and Johnny winter. He worked in their groups too. That's how good he was. I had to follow him in the band, but what he did was he stood there. we set up his equipment. I had the same equipment. I made sure that I got the same thing that he had, so it wouldn't change anything for the band, you know what they were used to and He played the songs, and he would play a song, and I would play it immediately, just like he played it. I'm talking about note for note. Most people can't do that. I'm not bragging on myself, but I was just really interested, in the Candymen were the best group in the world, and I had seen them about two months before I played with them, and uh, I wanted that gig. And When you really want something, you'll work hard, and you can do it. You know, well, what, what, was what, your, uh,
1: what was the secret to that success? How'd you get that gig?
0: Well, I, I got the gig because uh, I played everything just like I was supposed to, and I learned all of Roy's tunes and did all the string parts for stuff like crying and, uh, uh, God, I keep think. Pretty Woman. I loved doing that one. That was yeah. kind of a rocker.
1: So, with a guy like Roy Orbison, you know, through his career, uh, near the end of his life when he was playing with the traveling willberries in uh uh I, I can't remember was that the early 90s um with tom petty uh, did, yeah I,
0: yeah i think it was did I'm you not guys 100% sure
1: did, did you stay in touch with uh with roy orbison and like he 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 well, noticed it, hey this kid now has some some top hits in the late 70s with atlanta rhythm section yeah the,
0: we did we occasionally we would run in each other of course we the, as the Candyman, we were always working, even without him, and then the latter rhythm section, and we worked constantly. We, If we weren't writing, we were in the studio or playing gigs. You know, it was constant. So we saw him occasionally. I remember one time we saw him in Memphis right after he married Barbara Orvison, his wife, and... uh you know, we saw him in the hotel room we were staying at. He came by to see us, and he played in uh, Atlanta one time, and uh, at Mama's Country Showcase. And he wanted me to go there, but I had something else. I could not make it, and I have felt bad about not making it. You know, <laughs> to see that show with him. He personally invited me, <laughs> and uh, through Buddy Bowie, our producer and co-writer. And he came down later on with Ronnie Hammond, our singer at the time. And, uh, he and Buddy, Buddy Bowie was the writer of all those, you know, spooky stormy traces and all those old songs. And, uh, they worked on a song and Roy wanted to record it called Awesome Love. And they worked on it for three or four days and uh, i never did hear the after the rehearsal i never did hear it but uh, that was the last time i know of him coming to atlanta was to do that rehearsing with uh, buddy and ronnie had written that song i didn't co-write that one with buddy but uh, most of them i did write with buddy it was a great thing <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I, I can imagine did you ever see his glasses on the table and just try them on
0: Oh, yes, I have, of course. (laughs) (laughs) He had bad, I mean, his eyes were like, he was like, I guess you would say he was, he probably could see to read without glasses real easy, but, you know, distance things, he, I believe is what it was, yeah. Now, I couldn't see very well out of his glasses, but uh, I can tell you a little story about that, why he started wearing his sunglasses rather than his regular glasses, Buddy Holly told him that he looked better. He ought to just wear sunglasses all the time. Buddy Holly.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. You, Buddy Holly tells you to do something, you do it. Yeah, that is and so he did cool. He, he
0: wore them ever since. You know, From the time he was told, he, I never saw him with just regular plain glasses.
1: Our guest is Dean Daughtry from Atlanta Rhythm Section. and In the old days uh, of my radio career, I used to work at uh, a modern rock station. And there was a band called the Bloodhound Gang. And they had one of their songs that they sampled, uh, Spooky. Are you familiar with the Bloodhound Gang or the song that they sampled from Spooky?
0: No, I'm not. Not really. I mean, it's uh,
1: it's downright, it, it's almost a cover song. I mean, they they took the nearly the entire riff, the entire song, Spooky, and uh, made it into one of their songs. So I'm sure every time... Uh, an alt station a modern rock station plays that song even to this day i bet that's part of your royalty check you get
0: well i don't know it probably is but i didn't write spooky but i guess it doesn't matter if they use some of the music you played as an artist <laughs> i guess i don't know it's kind of complicated how all this stuff is yeah i have got the my publishing back on uh, some of the songs that i wrote like uh i'm not gonna let it bother me tonight and Seven songs, and Imaginary Lover was one of them. That was the biggest one. And uh, I got my publishing share back from Sony because the time was up on it. Uh, The time is, I believe, 35 years. It used to be 50. Uh Uh-huh before you could it would revert back to you, but now it's just 35. and those things are old. And it, it just freaks me out like I was telling you about the mailbox checks. These things are old. <laughs> I mean, 35, 40 years old and still doing wonder. But thanks to people like you and Yacht Rock,
1: we're keeping it alive. I mean, it's smooth and uh, we love it. Our listeners love it. They love uh, the Atlanta Rhythm section. Uh, For the music connoisseur that's listening that uh, is 45, 50 years old, that uh, used to listen to alternative rock when uh, they were in their early 20s or late 20s, uh, check that out from Bloodhound Gang, uh, the song they sampled. I certainly will. uh, Spooky. It's kind of cool. Dean, I also host a a show, uh, a public affairs show, and we talk a lot about charity work and foundations. Are there any uh, charities or foundations that – uh, you work with or you have worked with benefit concerts maybe, uh anything like that?
0: Well, we have worked with the Cancer Society. We had this uh the guys from Kansas, Phil Ehart mostly, uh set up a thing in Atlanta, the Peachtree World of Tennis, and we uh played tennis for the Cancer Society and uh, there were some big stars there. There was people like uh Paul Davis was there before he died and uh Kansas was there. Uh the uh Commodores uh one of the trumpet player in Commodores won the thing one time.
1: Now I guess I, I missed
0: wh- I didn't get anywhere and Paul Davis we were playing opposite of each other. We each had a pro with us and Paul Davis would keep running off the court because these pros got tired of messing with us because we weren't that good, <laughs> and they would start knocking the ball at each other, and they hit it hard. So old Paul, he would run off the tennis court and say, I'm getting off of this court. It's too scary. <laughs> I, I loved Paul Davis. He had some great records.
1: And- he really he really oh, did. What, you know what? What's your favorite uh, Paul Davis uh, radio hit? We'll play it. Well,
0: I think I like, I like cool nights and I like, uh, 65 love affair.
1: That's a fun one. It's got a, yeah, it's got a throwback feel to it.
0: Let me tell you something, a little secret here. He told me himself when he wrote, I go crazy that he was thinking and doing it for Ronnie Hammond, our singer at the time to sing.
1: No kidding.
0: Big hit single. That had been nice if it had been us, but it was him. So, Yeah, he told me that. I don't. If Paul was one of them kind of quiet type old country boys that talks real slow, and, and I, he wouldn't tell no film about it. I know he wouldn't. He's not that kind of person. So he was honest when he said that he actually was writing the song for us.
1: That is a great song. A hit. That is a huge hit. I Go Crazy from Paul Davis. All, it was almost recorded by Atlanta Rhythm Section. So close,
0: he wanted us to do it, but then he did it and had a hit with it, so I guess he forgot about us. <laughs> well, we were having hits about the same time too you know we were we all lived there in Atlanta and went to parties and things together, record parties and stuff and uh recorded uh, I used Paul Clavier, which was a big synthesizer deal back in uh, the eighties. And I also used his DX7, the first one I ever played, and, and saw really was uh-huh. back in the you know middle eighties, I guess it was.
1: And uh,
0: yeah, O'Paul is a great guy, great writer, beautiful voice.
1: A- absolutely, so talented. Yes, uh, mm. couldn't agree more. And that's great to hear the uh, the work you've done for uh, cancer awareness, cancer benefits. Uh, I'm sure you've had. Um, loved ones close to you that have uh you know suffered from uh some sort of cancer yeah. uh illness um and we all have dad. everybody has so it's great to hear that uh, no matter who you are where you are what you do that you get involved with some sort of charity uh, or benefit yeah. that's inspiring
0: i just wish i could have won one of those tournaments
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you needed to be a better tennis player didn't you i
0: needed to be a better one yes I mean, I wasn't bad. I mean, where I lived, we had tennis courts. And sometimes, you know, Buddy Bowie, our manager and producer and co-writer, he and some of the other guys, the band, basically would come over and we would play tennis, you know, in the afternoons. But we didn't play enough to win that.
1: Dean Daughtry, it's just been a pleasure speaking with you uh, on the telephone about Imaginary Lover and So Into You and Atlanta Rhythm section. Uh, Can't wait to meet you in person. Before I let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot and uh, ask you, between the two songs, Imaginary Lover and So Into You, which one do you prefer?
0: I actually prefer "So Into You" because it was really my first one. I like both of them, but I, I prefer "So Into You"
1: because that was the first song, the hit that you wrote.
0: Yeah, it's the first first hit I had. It's not wasn't necessarily the first song, but it was the first hit.
1: And what's your favorite part of that song? For our, you know, it's funny because when you listen to music, I can hear a song a hundred times. And the hundred and first time I could hear something I didn't even notice the first hundred times what what part of that song sewing so to you uh, should you tell our listener to really pay attention to here that maybe they hadn't noticed before well,
0: the bridge, I think, or you know the yeah, the bridge would be the my favorite part, and also the ending with uh, the solo Barry played on guitar good solo
1: there you have it that's uh, right from the The Atlanta Rhythm Section's Horse's Mouth on the the hits, (laughs) the the songs, uh, the legacy that is Atlanta Rhythm Section. It's just it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Dean. Uh, Again, you can go to AtlantaRhythmSection.com for more information. Uh, You're still touring, obviously. You're on the 70s Rock and Romance Cruise. How many uh, dates a year do you do for our listeners to be able to look for you to come to a town near them?
0: I think we probably play, probably play about fifty or sixty.
1: that's or maybe a lot, a few more, but
0: yeah we we work you know a few days every month,
1: yeah that you need to take a break.
0: My wife won't let me retire
1: <laughs> she won't oh, <laughs> I say, honey
0: i'm seventy one years old. Can I retire? No, you can't retire
1: <laughs> not, not with that not check good. coming in the mailbox every six months,
0: that's right.
1: All right, Dean. Pleasure having you on Yacht Rock Radio. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, and I have really thoroughly enjoyed it. You're listening to Yacht Rock Radio, the smoothest soft rock from the late 70s and early 80s. For more smooth, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Yacht Rock Radio.
1: Yacht Rock.